Only the God of the Bible, the triune God, provides a worldview that gives an account for the beautiful arrangement of music. Absolutely. He's eternal, set apart, holy. He's not part of change. So he's the basis of order, right, wrong, truth. So we can appreciate music ordered aesthetically in beauty. You ask a naturalist to give an account for order and beauty, his worldview is random chance, irrationality. I love our triumph God. Worship Him and delight in Him. Well, we're going to go to Proverbs 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I guess we're titling it Spiritual Navigation. Navigation is an essential part of our technologically advanced society. A mishap in timing between two traffic lights can lead to an unexpected collision and result in a fatality. Remember, just this last week we've been watching uh, two little ones from one of our church family members, and um, he was sitting in my SUV and remarking that I didn't have a GPS hanging from uh, the window. I was a little bit behind the times. Even his grandfather had a GPS. <laughs> like, well, I have it on my phone. Well, that's not the same thing. Technology. I remember a couple years ago, the pastors had a conference in Chicago, and uh, one of our pastors had just gotten the GPS and named it, and uh, then one of our other pastors from an older generation had the Google Maps, and was using the Google Maps, and well, the one with the GPS, uh, we kind of lost our way, <laughs> and uh, Pastor Mike held up his uh, Google Maps and said, see, these things are still very effective. <laughs> Navigation is important, and we try to keep up with the change in times technologically. Well, we have friends, I'm sure many of you do, who work as a navigator in the military, and how important that is. A, a slight error in navigational calculations over a large distance would result in a plane or ship completely off course. And today, that means crossing over into enemy airspace and getting shot down. It's vital. But did you know that we are given spiritual navigation for the paths of life in Scripture, in God's Word? It's to direct us in life, the life paths. Twelve times, Proverbs 2, and maybe you had a chance to count it as you were going through. You're one of those people who counts all the numbers, enjoys that. Twelve times the Hebrew words for path, track, way, or course is used in this chapter. And that's not to count how many times it's used throughout the book of Proverbs as a whole, much less you add in Deuteronomy and Exodus. Three times the Hebrew word for walk is employed. We're, just, we're given descriptions in, in verse 8 of... Well, why don't you turn there? Look at verse 8. The paths of justice, the way of his saints. Verse 9, there towards the end, every good path. You see the bad path, verse 12, the way of evil. Verse 13, back to the paths of uprightness. And then turning over to the ways of darkness. Verse 15, paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. Verse 19, the very end of the text, or the verse, the paths of life. And then verse 20, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. 
So Proverbs 2 wants us to understand that there are two paths. A straight path that's described in terms of good, equity, or justice, drawing from the standard of God's law, and those paths that are corrupt, that are perverse, that bend and change, that get lost behind the hills and the valleys and in the woods. God has a path. Deuteronomy is very clear that we are to walk in His path, in His ways. Well, what is His path? What is His ways? The commandments, the law, the testimonies, the ordinances, they don't change. They're a reflection of His character. In fact, Isaiah says He's given us the law for righteousness. Jeremiah calls God's paths the ancient paths. The ancient paths. They don't change. Why? Because the God of this path is eternal, unchanging. It's not like us. But the paths of the wicked are corrupt. They may move on to the path a little bit and then veer off just to get, grab a few of the wayward walkers. What's the promise of this navigation of Proverbs 2? Well, in verse 12 gives us the promise, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Verse 13, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. This is the promise of the path is to guard and keep you from the corrupt path, the distorted path. We're going to look at six navigational requirements for steering the heart in the paths of wisdom. Six navigational requirements for steering the heart in the paths of wisdom. I'll preview them for you, because I know I'll eventually just jump right into the next one, and you go, well, where'd you go? Well, if you have a preview, you'll have a little bit of a navigational map. Number one, receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God, verses 1 and 2. Secondly, prayer for the understanding of God. Prayer for the understanding of God, verse 3. Verse 3. Thirdly, study the Word of God. Study the Word of God, verse 4. Number four, discover the fear of God. Discovering the fear of God, verse 5. Number five, receive the wisdom of God. This is verses six oh, through eight, and it picks up in verse 10, receiving the wisdom of God. And then finally, discerning the paths of God, nine through 22. Now, these, these are navigational requirements. If you miss on verse one, you're, you're already heading off onto the corrupt path, a path of destruction, path of destruction. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. The first navigation requirement, receive the word of God. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Notice the if-then statements. You see it in verse 1, if you receive, drop down to verse 3. If you call, verse 4, if you seek, now look at the promise, verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we're looking for the promise. What we're going to find is capstoned in the fear of the Lord is the wisdom of God. And this is what we need for life's paths, the wisdom of God in the fear of the Lord. But these are if-then statements. There's requirements that need to be fulfilled in verse 1 and 2. Solomon is instructing his son, it is... Indeed, a loving, tender warning to watch out for these destructive paths that lead to destruction. 
but also a loving exhortation, encouragement to cling to the word, to walk in the paths of life. So he gives both a warning, but also great encouragement and tenderness. You could take away from this as a parent in your instruction. Often we are always wanting to give the consequences and threats of the law and not also hold forth the promises of the gospel and the great blessings that come with it. And as we're going to see, it's part of tendering the heart. God has both provided warnings, but also provided great promises in Scripture. And so we see Solomon tending to his son in this way. Now, in the context, wisdom is seen as personified as speaking. Uh, drop back with me to chapter 1, verse 20, just to get a little bit of the context. Wisdom, verse 20, cries aloud in the streets, and the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out at the entrance of the city gate. She speaks, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? So there's the throng of the crowd, and it's noisy, lots of conversing. We'll find out in chapter 2 that there's the words of, of perverted men, the smooth words of the adulteress. There are words going forth. It's noisy throng. Who will sort them out? Wisdom cries out, raises her voice aloud in the streets. Simple ones, naive ones, who are listening to the foolishness of men, listen. 23, where do you start then? Does wisdom allow... The, the, the bypasser to test wisdom based upon his own wisdom. No. The first call is to turn to reproof, to turn to admonishment. Why? Because wisdom has the authority. We don't have the wisdom to test wisdom. We need the wisdom. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. There's a need for the spirit to open the eyes. But first, the word of God is Received, we repent, turn to the reproof, the Spirit opens the eyes. Now we know in light of John 3 that there's even a prerequisite to this. Through the Word of God, the Spirit must give birth. And the response then is by faith and repentance, reproof, turn to reproof, and the Spirit provides open eyes. I like to hold my, this is a little side note, so you get this for free. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus said much the same thing about the Word of God. Verse 30 and 31. Again, just the point of we don't have the ability or the resources to test wisdom. We must receive wisdom and turn to its reproof. Jesus said that about His Word, John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, if you're attached to My Word, you are truly My disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he doesn't call us from our own human wisdom to test the truth, and then you'll know it. We need the truth in order to know the truth. And so he says, abide in my word, run to my word, receive that as the starting point of faith. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, Proverbs 1 is giving us the same recourse, turn to reproof. That's the starting point, is to embrace wisdom. Now, there's a warning given in verse 22. Four of Proverbs 1. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand, no one has heeded. Because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, 
I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way... And have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That's frightening. What's the problem? We grabbed onto the fear of the Lord, sought his counsel, and were turned over to our ruts. And the ruts come back to destroy us. We eat the fruit of their ways. It's like a whirlwind. We've seen that lately, either the floods here in the Midwest or hurricanes on the East Coast to a tsunami in Japan. One moment, it's there. Next moment, gone. Wisdom says, I'm calling. You don't listen and you run to your own way. I won't be there. I won't be there. You'll eat the fruit of your own way. And the ways of our life, when they become ruts, are destructive. You know that, driving along the icy roads and you're stuck in an icy rut. And you're going towards something you don't want to hit. And you're looking for the sand to pick up on the side if somehow I could get out of this icy rut. Well, wisdom calls us now and says, turn to her reproof. Now, the question we ask is, what does that look like? Well, first, beginning, verse 1, receive my words. Receive my words. Receive seems upfront enough for us to understand. It can be translated to take hold of, to lay hold of, to acquire, to seize. But notice the parallel. I love Hebrew poetry. It gives these rich parallels that enrich the words. And verse 1 says, treasure up my commandments within you or with you. It involves something of great value, i.e. the word and the commandments. And they're so valuable, they're hidden or stored up like treasure. It's not something that you just toss out the window onto the, the road. You, you, you are guarding it and holding on to it. It's your security. It's your life, much like maybe investments might be. But this is a spiritual investment. Now, again, he starts with receiving his words and treasuring. That assumes repentance, by the way, and faith. Because if you're treasuring his words, then what is being displaced? The words of men? The words and commitments of self? Applying repentance. I'm rejecting all competing treasure and receiving and treasuring what? The word and the commandments. Now notice what it does. Verse 2. Making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Now, if you had a New American Standard in front of you, you would read something like make. almost sounds like a command. But the Hebrew uh, infinitive lay uh, is translated to make, and the ESV picks well up on it. It picks up the idea of making. It's subordinate to verse 1. That is, when the Word of God is received and treasured, it's taken in. The Word does a work. Of course, it, if it takes the treasure of your heart... What is it going to do? It's going to steer your heart, incline your heart. And that's the idea in verse 2. Jesus understood this principle in Matthew 12 and Matthew 15. 
where he said that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. David understood this in Psalm 141, 4 through 6, right there in the middle of the, the text. He says, he prays out to the Lord, Don't incline or steer my heart to any evil thing, to practice deeds of iniquity, that practice is a worn path, with men who do iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. He understands that to get on that worn path and have the heart steered, it's allured by treasure, the delicacies, the allurements that allure the heart into this practice. And then we end up joining men in that practice and head down this destructive road. So David's praying, Lord, I, I get it. You've made my heart. Ultimately, I was made, well, pre-fall, Adam was made to treasure you. But because of corruption, our hearts are turning away to find its treasure in the things of the world, the things that are passing away. Human wisdom, human words, human promises. So if we want our hearts turned towards him to have an attentiveness to wisdom and an inclination to understanding, the word of God must be received. Now then, where is the power for steering the heart? It's not with self. Proverbs 28, 26 says that the one who trusts in his own heart or mind is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. Jeremiah 17, 5 says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's wicked above all things. So I don't want to trust my heart. So where's the power for dealing with my heart? You mean I'm not even in control of my own heart? You mean giving into my heart, it would destroy me? Yes. Where do I turn? The Word, the commandments, captures the heart, steers the heart. Remember, it's promise. It's going to do that by verse 5. There's the promise. Understanding the fear of the Lord, the greatness of God. His supremacy and the knowledge of God. This is helpful because I begin to understand, well, when, I, when the word captures my heart, the treasure that I'm clinging to and enamored with and in love with is the fear of God. And that guards me on his path. But when I listen to the words of human wisdom, it captures my heart with the fear of man. And it enslaves my heart in the uh, ruts that are reflective of the fear of man. I begin to think in light of worldly wisdom. The wisdom of the world. Lord, I need your word. I come to it, receive it, and I ask you to do a work in my life. To turn my heart. It's an acknowledgement that we need God to work in our hearts. To bring repentance and faith through his word. But how comforting it is. You know those times where you're wrestling with your heart. Genesis 6-5 talks about the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Those times where you're, you know you don't want to be grumbling and complaining, you want to honor the Lord, do all things that grumbling and complaining, and, and I'm doing whatever, and my heart's just throwing up these thoughts of grumbling or bitterness, and I'm going, what is going on? Stop that. And it keeps coming up. Stop it, heart. No, I'm not supposed to do that. Well, I'm reminded that, what do I need? I've been getting that dose of the fear of man, apparently. My heart keeps running to that treasure. I need the word of God. I need to preach the gospel to my heart. And so I tell my heart, shut up, heart. If you keep bringing these thoughts in my mind, I'm going to preach the gospel back to you. And if somebody heard me doing that, they'd say, you're a schizo and you need to be turned in. But the Christian has a realm for that, right? We're putting off the old, putting on the new. There's a war that goes on. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We're a new creature. We can take the word of God and his promises in the gospel. And as Psalm 15, 15, verse 1 and 2 says, that those who abide in Mount Zion 
and the holy hill, they speak truth in the heart. They bring the word of God to the heart. So we place ourselves underneath the word with expectancy that God will win our affections with the fear of the Lord. This is his promise. It means God's God. It means his word is what has the authority and power over our lives. We need it. And our first response then is to place ourselves underneath it. You know those times where you're, you know you should be doing devotions, you know you need to read the word, but you realize, my heart's not there. Ah, I know why it's not there. I'm fearing man. I'm not fearing God. I need the word of God. I need the word of God to love God. So, Lord, I come to read your word, and I'm expecting that you will turn my heart through repentance and faith to rest in your word and to rest in the promises of the gospel. We often sit back and go, I'm going to wait until my heart is in the right place. And there it is, steering us away. So we receive the word, we embrace it. Well, secondly, second spiritual navigation. Prayer for understanding. Verse 3. Prayer for understanding. Yes! (laughs) See the sweetness of this and affirmation. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Now, if someone is, has received the word, took it in, first step of faith, resting in the promises of the word, and desires to know the word, and cries out to the Lord, help me understand. What do we call that spiritual discipline? Prayer. When the, when the word captures the heart, the response is to talk to God. I want to understand it. The heart's being inclined to love him, and we want to talk with him. Just as I may, my kids may be out for a retreat, and they've been gone for a week, and the first thing we want is to hear all about it. Why? I love them. I want to talk with them. We have a, maybe a person in your life that has been an issue, and you're just kind of knowing, I, yeah, I'm going to meet with them, and it's going to be tough. I'm having a hard time. Well, it's a reflection of the heart towards that other individual. When the heart is captured by the word of God and turned and steered to seek the fear of the Lord, verse 5, what's, what, what's the outflow of that? Prayer. And that's again encouraging to my heart because I know when there's prayerlessness, it's a reminder that I need the word. Not enamored with the fear of the Lord. For some reason, I'd rather prepare and plan by praying to myself. Here's what I've got in mind. I'm going to do this, plan A, plan B, plan C, and I'm not going to pray about that to the Lord. What what is my problem? I'm not enamored with the fear of the Lord then. I'd rather talk to myself. I need the Word of God. Prayer is the fruit of a heart that's been steered by the Word. God's Word stirs up the prayer life through the Word. What are we praying for then? Insight into the Word. Insight. Remember, it's captured our heart's treasure. Verse 4 moves us to the third navigational requirement. What does he say there? The third if. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. The word seek is akash. It's used of the pursuit and orientation of one's life, one's sole ambition. It's captured the heart. On a negative side, this helps us out a little bit understanding the, the flip side of the coin, but Korah, uh, the Korites, sought for the priesthood. They were dissatisfied with their role as Levites. They, remember, they were the ones carrying around all the tabernacle garb and 
all the pieces of wood. And they were the servants. And they wanted to be like Aaron and his sons. They had the role. And their hearts sought for it. And, of course, that led them to grumbling and eventually the condemnation of God. Pharaoh, the word is used, sought after Moses in order to kill him. That was his pursuit and ambition. On the positive side, in Psalm 70, verse 4, we, we read this, Let all who seek you rejoice, this is God, and be glad in you, and let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Now, there's the positive use of seeking. I'll read that again. Notice the parallel with love. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. See the joy with seeking? It's the, the orientation of one's heart. And let those who love your salvation say continually, let God be magnified. So to seek is equated with love. And the expressions of that are joy and gladness. And I want him magnified. I delight in him. That's the kind of seeking that's going on here in this text. If you seek it, well, we'll find out. Wisdom and the fear of the Lord. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. So the believer that's been stoked by the word of God whose heart has been inclined, cries out in prayer, open my eyes, let me see and understand, and then begins to look into Scripture, not just the surface, not just the story of David or Abraham, and that's all great because we, we, we love the, the storyline of, of Scripture, the threat of Scripture as God is carrying out His purposes in His Son, but to look into the text to see particularly, verse 5 is going to tell us, the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Had, we have these uh, young boys in our home and sitting down last night going through the big picture storybook and we picked Jacob and his 12 sons and then Joseph. And I asked this little guy, so what's this story about? I mean, here's Jacob throwing up all these kids all over the place. I mean, throwing them up in the air and they're all laughing and he said, well, it's about God. I thought, that's, that's encouraging. I said, yeah, God is working out the promises of Jesus Christ. He's, he's, we're going to raise up Joseph in hardship and suffering in order to preserve Israel to make sure to secure the promise of Jesus Christ, our salvation. That's what we're searching for. You read David's story over and over and over again. It's like going back over my journals. This is be boring. I mean, oh, he sinned. Oh, he sinned. How about this prophet? Oh, that prophet sinned. How about the priest? Oh, that priest sinned. Well, Aaron can't get it figured out with his sons. How about the king? David, he sinned. Where's the hope? Well, I'm going to read this again and again and again. No, we read it and look and we see sin and then we see, we see the promise of the glory of Jesus Christ and we see the glory of God against the backdrop of sin. We see his justice and holiness and we cry out, I'm a sinner like David. I deserve his judgment, but all the promises of salvation. What a great God. And that produces in our hearts a fear for him. It's understanding the weightiness and gravity of of our great God, His beauty, His glory, His power, His omnipresence, His, His wisdom, His knowledge. So we begin to then discover in the Word of God, we discover the God of the Word. And that takes us to number four. The fourth navigational requirement for steering the heart is discovering the fear of the Lord. And this is a promise. It's rooted in these if statements. Verse 5. 
Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Fear of the Lord is the supremacy of God's greatness. It's coupled with the knowledge of God. Again, I love parallels. They're so helpful in poetry. What's the fear of the Lord? Oh, the knowledge of God. But it still has elements of fear, adoration, awe, trembling. Yes, trembling. Think of Philippians 2, where we come before him with fear and trembling. Literally, tremor. A phobos, a phobia, fear, and a, a trembling. Quaking before him. That's the kind of great God that we adore and worship. Not a, a lowly God that we can exalt ourselves over, but a God that we desire to magnify and worship and adore. How do we fear the Lord? We find it, verse 5, in the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of God. It's to look into the Word of God and to see the character of God put on display. The Word of God promotes the character of God. We see His love, His power, His righteousness, His justice, His truth, His omnipresence, His omniscience. We go on and on. And it raises our hearts up to, to fear Him and to adore Him. Now, the world, too, has its words. And we see those in the perverse Speech in verse 12, the way of the evil from men of perverted speech, verse 12. And then we find the forbidden woman in verse 16 who also has smooth words, like a drink that's smooth going down. It's pleasant. It's fruit berry or something. I don't know, something that just tastes good. Through words. That's how the world communicates to win our hearts. That's how the flesh communicates to win our hearts, through words. Yes, the words may come through written, may come through the media of television or our computers, magazines, but it's a war of words. We're either convinced and believe and put our faith in them and then fear the world, or the Word of God turns our hearts to treasure the fear of God. It's a war of words. And knowing that, knowing that I'm inundated with the fear of man through the words of men day in and day out, it's a desperation to run to the word to come to grips with the fear of God. Because a path is at stake. A rut that will either capture me for destruction or capture me for life. Job Ask this question, where do you find wisdom? Would you go back to Job 28? Where do you find wisdom? This text is going to lead us to the promise of wisdom that guards our path. Job 28. I've sat in, this is free too, I've sat in uh, seminary classes where they went back and forth on, on whether Job and his friends actually spoke in rhyme or parallelism for this or whether it was captured later by Job and how that works out with inspiration. And, you know, I've, I've, read, I've read a lot of books on the different issues, and I'm not going to necessarily solve it right here, but it, I just found it interesting. We went to some Christian concert, Christian in quotes, please, um, just so you take note of that, where a, a guy got up to, to rap, and not that rap's bad, but I'm just saying it. sometimes the Christian culture isn't something I would say is presenting the message of the gospel, but it was fascinating to see this guy say, he, he said, raise up any articles that you've got in your hands or in your pockets, and people put umbrellas and phones and all kinds of stuff up in there, and then he just developed this 
four-minute rap that rhymed all these pieces. Now, you could say, well, he had that all prepared and just knew they were going to bring umbrellas and things. I, I don't know about that. Some of the stuff there was pretty bizarre. And I just saw this guy go on just from one thing to the next. And I thought, you know, any of TV or all this other media, um, I don't have a problem. Watching that and seeing scripture talking about, you know, here they are speaking in rhymes and maybe it was a particular genre, a grief genre element. Anyway, that's a total side note, but I just saw this going, this is beautiful and how the, how the Holy Spirit takes all this and then brings that to bear in our hearts is awesome. Notice the beauty of this. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron's taken out of the earth, copper smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the farthest limit. The ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread. But underneath it is turned up as by fire. It stones the place of sapphires and has dust of gold. So you just get this picture of these deep tunnels in the ground, bobbing of lights, chasing away the gloom and darkness, looking for dust of gold and sapphires. Verse 7, that path no bird of prey knows. The falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all living, concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it. He knows his place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. I love that. He's above, transcendent, this world. He's put all the parts together. He understands it. He's omniscient, omnipresent. He knows everything about everything. We're here on the earth trying to evaluate things from our little perspective. Verse 25, when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Want to know where wisdom is? The fear of the Lord. It's understanding his greatness. Where do we find that? In the Word of God. In the Word of God. William Cooper wrote a number of poems in around 1774. He wrote one called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. His pastor was John Newton. He was, uh, every 10 years or so, he was plagued by depression. Described as a deep, dark cloud over him. Weighed him down. John Newton ministered to him, knowing that there were bouts of depressive, suicidal thoughts. William's father had gone through much the same. But it was during those times where he wrote these incredible poems 
You see, it was in those times that he realized, he, he, by faith, he clung to the fear of the Lord, the greatness of God. He rewrites this. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break and blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. We try to scan life circumstances in light of our own work and word. Unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain, but God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. Driven back to the promises of Scripture to find the fear of the Lord in the midst of the dark clouds of his life, the Lord used it to produce such encouraging poems to remind us of the sovereignty of God. That leads us with number five. Receive the wisdom of God. Back to Proverbs 2, verse 6. Notice it comes out of the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. See? We run to the Word, we receive it, producing us prayer life, searching deep into Scripture to see and identify the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God, and from there the Lord gives wisdom. As Job said, in the fear of the Lord is wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Again, the word of God as opposed to the word of men. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You see, if this wisdom is passive, it's given by God. It doesn't start with ourselves. Notice also in verse 10, there is a delight in it. That's how the heart is captured, by the promises of delight and joy. What verse 1 says, treasure. The world and the word of men will promote its treasure to capture your heart, the delicacies of the world with its allurements. And that's what we see even there in verse 14 of those who run to evil. They rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. They've been captured by the heart's deception into thinking that delight is there. And they run again and again to those promises of delight and they look back and find they've worn a worn path they can't escape. The Bible calls that an enslavement. The world calls it addictions, captured. Romans 5, 1 through 8 describes this work of God in the life to bring about pers- or, uh, tribulation, he says, brings about perseverance and per- perseverance proven character. So tribulation, we're brought down to respond in this path. With endurance, we respond in that tribulation and that produces character. The negative effects can also happen. We respond with the fear of men to the tribulation again and again and again until our hearts are captured. And what does that point out? False, ungodly character captured by our own path. Uh, Hold your finger there. I want you to see Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 11. This is the ungodly trying to entice the son. 
If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. So there's the promises, the delicacy, the allurements. My son, do not walk in the way with them. There's the path. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. It's its own snare. Our ways turn around to destroy us. So we need wisdom. It promises that wisdom will enter the heart, verse 10. It comes from the fear of the Lord. So how does this, how does this work? Well, we, we run to the word of, of God. We meet the fear of God. We're impressed with him. From the fear of the Lord, then, we're given wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of applying the fear of the Lord to life's path. So that we examine the path, the thinking character, the doing character, the decisions, the circumstances, in light of the fear of the Lord. It's putting the puzzles of life together in light of the big picture, the fear of the Lord. That's wisdom. We don't get wisdom unless we're running to the word to see the fear of God and the knowledge of him. Otherwise, we're left here putting all these puzzle pieces together in light of the fear of man, and it will be a snare that will destroy us. So wisdom guards the path. In 1979, Air New Zealand had an incorrect computer-stored flight plan, and it resulted in a navigational error directing the flight towards Mount Erebus. Because of overcast, the crew descended below authorized altitude. 257 passengers died as the aircraft crashed through the slopes of Mount Erebus while on sightseeing flying to Antarctica. Navigation. We miss the fear of the Lord in the word of the Lord. Wisdom isn't directing our path. It leads to destruction. That's the point of Proverbs 2. So we run to the word of God to receive it. It turns our hearts to treasure him and to search deep into the word to see the fear of the Lord, to apply his wisdom that he gives and the fear of him in light of life's paths and it delivers us from the deception of false words and false paths. And that leads us to our last requirement, discern the paths of God. And we'll just read through 11 and following. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way. Might as well put character of evil. For men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Notice the crookedness of the path, the deviousness, the deceit. You get logged in there and you can't find your way out. That's why we need his right path, the just path, the path of equity, the path that is reflecting his word, his commandments. Go on. So the, so the wisdom then from the fear of the Lord guards us against men of corruption, but also against the corrupt woman. Verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. This picture is one of a landslide behind her home. Young men running into pornography, listening to the smooth words of the foreign woman. Be warned. There is a landslide. It is crashing down. 
The pictures of these individuals back there grasping on with the, the tips of their fingers, if they could, to the paths of life, but there's no hope and they're swept away. You say, but, oh, I'll only do it for a time and then I'll be out of it. Ah, that's not how it works. Your own way will lay a snare. Now, that's an exhort- exhortation to men, but women, it's the same. You have your issues as you may try to find identity in certain things to find meaning in life rather than Christ. And we're watching, pondering those worn paths to see if they run back to Christ, back to the cross. We run to the Word to show us these paths. More about that in a moment, but notice verse 20. So you will walk in the way of the good, keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. What's the encouragement to our hearts? Well, as 1 John 3 underlines that those who practice righteousness, they're born of him. Those who practice sin are not born of God. They're born of the devil, Proverbs 3, 8, and 9. What's your worn path look like? Is it interrupted by repentance and faith and a, a running back to the word of God? You should see a trail running right back to the fear of the Lord in your life and say, ah, this is the way of life. What is the fruit of your ways? Proverbs 3 doesn't end with that. It's verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make straight your paths. Verse 7, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, refreshment to your bones. Resting fully in the Lord. Denying human wisdom. Seeking the fear of the Lord. Verse 7. One other, Proverbs 4, verse 20. Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Keep preaching the word to the heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. How? By keeping the word in the heart. That's what he said in verse 21. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. How? The word in the heart. Verse 21. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. How do we look at the path of our feet without the deception of the heart? By keeping the word in the heart. We can then look at the path and we we see where the, the, the faltering steps begin to happen. And we know that I'm fearing men. I need the word to fear God. And he begins to work in our hearts. 27, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now, I would not be a New Covenant, New Testament preacher. Paul says, I preach Christ and only Him crucified. And what I've given you is law. Six navigational requirements. Do these things. You're called to do them. But there's not much hope there. Because you and I both know we failed in receiving the Word and we failed in prayer and we failed in studying the word and seeking the fear of God. But do you remember what Jesus claimed in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christ is the way. He's walked the path. He received the word from his Father. He prayed on our behalf, not just for us, but as our substitute. Because we don't. 
And he searched the Word and loved the Word and delighted in the Word. Why? Not only because he loved the Word and loved the Father, but he did it because we can't. And he was enamored with the fear of the Lord. Hebrews 2 says he trusted in the Lord. And he declared his praise to his brethren. We don't praise God. We don't worship him as we ought and should and commanded to. Christ did for us. We don't believe his promises as we're commanded to. Christ, Hebrews 2 says, trusted in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when you acknowledge that we failed the law, we need a great Savior who is the way, the path, who's done it all, there's only one place to go, and that's to throw yourself upon the mercies of God in the work of Jesus Christ and to rest in the fact that he obeyed, and that righteousness by faith is credited to your account so that God looks at you as having fulfilled his law because Christ did it but because we've also transgressed his law and listened to the words of the perverted and walked a contrary path by faith, through faith, he's credited your sin to Christ's account, paid in full at the cross, so I can stand in his righteousness. Isaiah 53, verse 11, we're in our ABS hour, just noting that by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. His knowledge, his intimacy, in his life, his death, his resurrection, acquainted with it. Isaiah tells us that we have sinned because we do not know God. We may know about him, but we don't know him intimately. Christ, through his intimate knowledge, justifies the many. What encouragement. But when we run to the gospel and find those trails running back to the gospel, what does he do in our lives? He grasps our hearts with the fear of God, through the fear of God, grants wisdom to orient life's paths in light of the glory of Jesus Christ, and he, he protects us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a passage like this. Thank you for the navigation in your word. Thank you that you boast in yourself. This, is all promo- this promotes you. It says you are the beginning and the end. You're the means. You're everything. You get all the glory as you should. We enjoy you and delight in you. Thank you for the promises of the gospel. It's like a beautiful stream that's ran its way through the course of history, ran off the cliff into the body of the ocean. And so we see these promises here running through Scripture and running into the depths of the ocean of Jesus Christ. And so we greet him again with great joy and faith. We boast in his glorious work for us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.